have been on this journey of experiencing Father God's unconditional love um, in, in an incredible way for about the last 20 years. And uh, Jack Frost mentored us. We'll talk about that a little bit more as we go here. But several years ago, we were asked to speak at a series of youth events. And they were called The Stand. And they were actually uh, youth events that were geared toward purity and, and, and just uh, expressing to the young people of America how valuable they were. And, and there was someone that was involved with, with organizing these events that had had a real revelation of the love of the Father. And he knew that if these young people had a revelation of how loved they were, that they wouldn't give themselves away so easily. And so we were asked to come to these huge stadium events, 15,000 young people in these huge sports arenas, and minister the message of the Father's healing love and they gave us 20 minutes to accomplish this task and these these events were full of all the greatest uh, christian musicians and movie stars and tv stars and mimi and poppy who nobody had ever heard of before in the history of the world and we thought how on earth are we going to grab these young people's attention and for 20 minutes and express to them something that is so very important something that we know will change their lives if if we get the opportunity and so out of all of that god gave us a story and in every one of those events and in every conference we've ministered in, every church we've ministered in since that time, Dave has, has shared this story. So he's going to read a story to you today. It was a cold, crisp New Year's Day. Two young brothers, ages 7 and 10, were in their rooms playing, jumping on their beds, laughing and having fun, as brothers often do. Suddenly, they heard a loud thud coming from downstairs. The younger brother ran to see what the commotion was about, opened the door to his parents' bedroom, and discovered his daddy laying in a pool of his own blood, the gun that he'd used to shoot himself laying beside him. This unspeakable tragedy and the wounds this produced turned the little boy's life upside down. Why did his daddy want to leave him? Wasn't he a good enough son to make his daddy want to live? The pain and the turmoil in this family was intense, and no one knew how to comfort them. Everyone was left in the darkness of their own silence, confusion, and pain. It didn't seem like life could get any harder for that family, but it did. The day of his daddy's funeral, the little boy's mom was diagnosed with terminal cancer. She had to leave the family to go to New York for cancer treatment. The little boy and his brothers and sisters were left uh, separated and sent to stay with other family members. This sad, lonely little boy was left uncomforted, confused, and desperately trying to deal with his pain. Those events sent that child on a search for a father, a search that would last almost 40 years. The little boy started to think maybe it was his fault that all of these bad things had happened. He began to take on the pain of the rest of his family. He tried to make it right for everyone else. And that made him feel even more angry and alone because no matter what he did, he couldn't fix it. More and more every day, his feelings of rejection, abandonment, pain, and rage grew. If his daddy loved him, why did he do this? If God was real, why did he let this happen? The little boy began to feel very sorry for himself. His rage grew and grew as he thought, why is life treating me so unfairly? The incredible pain from these wounds caused him to seek for comfort anywhere he could find it. Because pain always seeks to be comforted. At a very early age, someone introduced him to masturbation and pornography, which he used to try to comfort the pain and confusion in his life. As he got older, he became a sexual addict, always looking for love and comfort in the wrong places. He suffered from guilt, shame, rejection, and a lack of self-worth so deep that he sometimes wished he were dead like his father, and then hating himself more for even thinking such thoughts. The boy became a young man and discovered if he could perform well enough in sports that people would accept him and give him some of the love he craved so desperately for. He became a very good athlete, a competitor, because if he hit the ball right, his coach would give him words of acceptance and affirmation. Even that was not enough to heal the pain in his heart, and he turned to drugs, alcohol, pornography, and sex to try to comfort his pain. Those things did make him feel better for a little while, but then the pain came back, worse than ever, because it was now mixed with shame, condemnation, and intense feelings of self-hatred. When the boy was 16 years old, he came to Christ, but the shame, fear, and rejection 
didn't go away. He had a really hard time seeing God as his father because his experience with the father only represented pain and abandonment. He always felt like an outsider looking in, trying to be good enough to receive Father God's love, but always missing the mark. Then, when he would inevitably fail, he would become even more angry, lonely, and filled with rage. That young man grew up, married, and had a son and daughter of his own, and even became a pastor, but the wounds of his childhood were still there, buried deeply. Much of his life was still rooted in fear, shame, and rejection. Even as a pastor, he struggled with rage, lustful temptations, and an incredibly low self-worth. Many years passed, and the man's own little boy grew up. He was attending Bible school when a phone call came that again would change this family's life forever. The son of this man had tried to take his own life. The pattern was repeating itself, but this time the ending would be different. This man finally felt pain so intense that he had no choice but to change. He finally let some of the walls of self-defense down and let God touch his pain, the pain that had been bottled up for so many years. Father God, the father this man had been searching for for almost 40 years, came in and began to pour comfort and healing into the wounds of this man's broken heart. He began to see God as a loving father who would never leave him. He began to allow father to heal him and his family. He began to realize that God was a father to the fatherless, and it was only in his arms that he would find true comfort and healing for his wounds. That little boy, that young man, that father, that pastor is me, and I finally found the father I've been looking for all of my life. He wants to comfort you, and he wants to heal your pain the same way that he's healed mine. He is your father the perfect dad you've been looking for all of your life. And, um, you know, the truth of the matter is, is that um, every one of us have a story, don't we? Every one of us have a story. And every one of our stories is a little bit different, but it's uniquely ours. And every one of our stories is, is filled with a lot of joy, and it's filled with some lovely things, but it's also filled with pain. And... Um, what, what, we, what we don't understand so often as, as Christians, as believers, as, as children of a loving father, and, and to so many of us that's such an, a foreign concept, is that in the midst of even the pain that has happened in our life, there was always a father there who wanted to comfort us, who wanted to heal our hearts, who wanted to heal our pain. But the problem was is that most of us didn't know how to receive that kind of comfort. We didn't know how to receive that kind of love. And, and one of the problems that, that we've, we've found that was so prevalent in our own lives, and we find it so prevalent even within the body of Christ, even within the sons and daughters of God, is that we don't know how to respond to a loving father because so many of us have not had that experience in our natural life. So many of us, when we even hear the word father it maybe brings up some sort of a negative image. And so what we're going to do today, and I want to kind of maybe share a little disclaimer with you this morning. This morning we're going to share and talk about the problem. And we're going to diagnose maybe some symptoms of the problem, why we act the way we act, why we react the way we react, why we have relationship issues, why we have problems and broken relationships, why we, we do the things we do and think the things we think and respond to, to situations in life the way we respond. Have you ever asked yourself those questions? Have you ever thought, why am I acting this way? Where is this coming from? What am I really afraid of? Why every time my button is pushed, you got buttons in Ireland? We got buttons in Iowa, I'm telling you what. Those, those little reactive things, that, and the people that love you the best, they know how to push those buttons. And why is it when my button is pushed, even though I've promised myself and I've promised everyone around me, I'll never act like that again, I'll never react like that again, every time that button is pushed, boom. Have we ever asked ourselves those questions, been brave enough to ask ourselves those questions, ask God those questions? So I'm going to do a little disclaimer this morning. This morning we're going to, we're going to look at the issues, we're going to diagnose the issues, we're going to walk you through something we call the cycle of pain, which doesn't sound pleasant at all, and it's not. But 
the really good news is, is that we're going to have time this evening to take us from this place of pain, this place where we have so many things in our lives that we didn't know how to experience comfort, so we just pushed that pain down. We just buried it and buried it and thought we were successfully dealing with it, but every time our buttons push, boom, there it comes. Tonight, we're going to talk about how to walk into the cycle of healing. We're going to experience something tonight. We're going to take another step into experiencing the unconditional love of the Father. As Paul said in Ephesians, the third chapter, the experience that far surpasses mere understanding. Because God wants us to experience his love. He doesn't want it just to be a a matter of theology or a matter of Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. That's very true. But until we experience that for ourselves and know that down to the core of who we are, that's when it starts to change how we act and how we react and what my relationship looks like with him and what my relationship looks like with you. That's when we start to treat each other like John 13, 35 says when Jesus told the disciples, they're going to know who I am, Jesus said, by the love you show each other. And wow, we've struggled with that in the church, haven't we? We've struggled with that in the church. So, if we, you know, we, we, we ask people all over the you know, world and, you know, churches, church settings and meetings and whatever, you know, why did Jesus come? And we get a host of different answers, and most of the answers are right. Why did Jesus come? Help me out. Why did Jesus come? What? Because he loves us. Good. Yes? To seek and to save who are lo- those are who are lost, right? Yeah. Anybody else? To redeem us. us. All right. Robin, you got anything? I just saw that smiling face, and I was just—I was looking for—I was looking for anything. In America, we say, "Throw me a bone here. Throw me a bone. Throw me. Give me something." Okay. And that's—and—and so that—that is what we want to talk about today. Many Christians, they—they—they don't have the full picture or haven't had a revelation of the full picture of why Jesus came. Jesus came to pay the price for our sins so that we're not making little of the fact that Jesus came to pay the price for our sins because we'd all be lost, eternally lost without that. Jesus came to pay the price for our sins so that, everybody say so that, so that that we could have right relationship with the God of the universe and be able to call him Abba, Father, Daddy, God. That's a big deal. That is, that is just as much part of the message of the Lord Jesus Christ that was sent by the Father to love us and to die for us and to be raised from the dead. He, he, that is just as much part of the message as our sins being forgiven. Because there's the rest of the story. We, when, when we get saved, we don't just immediately die and go to heaven, although some of us, there have been times in our lives that we wish that would have happened because we've gone through some suffering. But we, but we, have, we have a life here on this earth, and that life that we have here on this earth uh, is, is a life that should be walked out as a dearly loved, yeah. Yeah. a dearly loved son and daughter of Father God, yeah. a joint heir with yes. Jesus Christ as God's dearly loved children experiencing everybody say experiencing Experience. because that's a word that that we don't throw around in church a whole lot i don't know why we don't but we we don't because we're afraid of experiencing i guess i don't know what it is but we have an intellectual understanding how many learned when you were a little child that god loves you yes. god is love he doesn't have love he is love right so god loves us just the way we are he loves us just the way we are, he loves us so much that he's gonna, not going to leave us the way we are, right? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, good. that's exactly Where we right. are, is, are. are. Uh, and, 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 and the fact of the matter is, and that many religious people don't like this, God loves you. Um, he loves you. In other words, there's nothing you can do to get God to love you anymore because he is love. He loves you. Many of us perform and, and work at trying to get God to love us more when in reality that's futile because God is love and he loves us. He, he, you can't get 
you can't do anything to get God to love you anymore. That's why he sent Jesus to die for us so that we could experience that love. And now here's another one that Christian people don't like. We, you can't do anything to get God to love you any less either because God is love. He is love. Now, so, so this is important. The New Testament name for God is Father. And if I would ask you a question, give me three words to describe your earthly father, many of you would come up with some pretty pain-filled things, nasty things, unkind things. We see God through the lens of our earthly fathers and mothers. But today, to, to, through this time that we have, we have very limited time. We normally talk a week solid on some of this stuff. So we have very limited time. We're just going to deal with just father, some father issues, right? Now, so what we're going to do, we don't have all the answers by any means of the word. We don't have any. And, but what we can do for you this today, and if you're coming to the thing Monday, Monday, we can help you take some steps into experiencing the Father's healing love for your own life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the... Father. Who? Father. Who? Father. The Father. Yeah. He said, listen, guys, I want you to start praying like this. Our... Father. He wants us to have, right, he wants us to have a relationship with His Father. And when we're saved, when we ask Christ to come into our life, we become born again, born from above. We become a new creation in Christ Jesus. We become the children of God. So it's a, it really is the truth. To tell you the truth, is, is what we're trying to get across to people is something that's always been in the Scriptures, always been in the Bible, always been in the heart of God. And that is for, for Christians to know who God is, in the context of knowing him as Abba Father, yes. beginning to experience yes. his loving, yes. healing, comforting love, and begin to walk out life as his dearly loved sons and daughters, and walk in the inheritance. Do you know that God, our Father, has an inheritance for you? It's good stuff. And it's good. So how many of you, if we were just taking an informal poll here, how many of you know God loves you? And this is not a trick question. <laughs> we do. Well, it kind of is. A, a, well, it is a little bit. But we do know God loves us, right? At least we have the theology, right? We have the word of God. We've read the word of God. We have some understanding or at least some theological understanding that God loves us, right? Yes, Jesus but, yes. loves me. But if I were to ask you then again, how many of you have any issue in your life with fear? And fear looks like anxiety. It looks like worry. We don't use that word worry because it's very, very non-Christian. We use words like concerned, concerned yeah. burdened. We're yeah. burdened for yes. one another, not worried. I flat out worry. I'm sorry. I mean, I, I have to admit it's the truth. But any of us, any of us, I have a prayer concern. Yeah, I have a prayer concern. But anybody's worry, anxiety. Uh, inferiorities, insecurities, all those things are rooted or based in fear, right? I mean, all those issues are based in fear, and we could talk about that for a long time, but we don't have a long time to talk about that. But the Scripture tells us very clearly in 1 John, the fourth chapter, it says there's no fear in love because perfect love dispels or casts out or does away with fear. So we have this problem. We say we know God loves us, and we do know God loves us. At least a part of us understands God loves us, but we still live oftentimes on a daily basis with issues of fear, anxiety, insecurity, inferiority in our lives. And so what is there that is restricting me from fully experiencing that scripture in 1 John chapter 4 that I just referred to that talked about there's no fear in love? The scripture right before that tells us that we know and we understand by experience that God is love. John said that. Paul said that. We referred to it early in Ephesians where he said that you might experience the love of God which far surpasses knowledge. Every time that word in the New Testament, almost every time that word know, K-N-O-W, is used to know something, it, it, it refers to experiencing something. God is an experiential God. Jesus taught in experiential ways. 
And so, and so here we are. We've got this issue of I know God loves me, but I still have fear in my life. So what is restricting me from fully experiencing right, right, the right, love that right, he has for us so that right. it changes everything about me? It right. changes how I act, how I react, how I respond again, like we said, when those buttons are pushed. Yes. Ephesians talks about be renewed in the yeah. spirit of your mind or be, the Greek brings it across in a continual sense, be being renewed in the spirit of your mind. What's renewed? Renewed is, uh, you know, re- is, a, is a restoration process, right? Be being renewed, a re- restoration process, a healing process. Be being renewed in the spirit of your mind, the inner core of who we are, how we act, and how we react in every situation, yeah. right? So, so it's more, it's... Uh, <clears throat> It, it's you're you're Christ, you are, you are who you are right now, but that's very Christianized right now. But if you get out in traffic, or you're having a bad day, or something's going on, you know your kids are being crazy, your your spouse is being crazy, you're just you know you're you're struggling. Then your emotional buttons pushed, right? And you have this sometimes unchristian-like response, may I say. Right, you have an abnormal reaction to a fairly normal thing, and you, you, you and it, where did that come from? Well, that's who you are, also. That's the part of us that be being renewed <laughs> in the spirit of your mind. That's the part of us that God wants to bring healing to. So, you know, it's not a it's not an issue of getting more love, praying for more love. I want more love. I need more love. I need more love. I need more love. I need more love. God is love. What is hindering me, yeah. like Chris said, what is hindering me, that's the issue. Yeah. The issue is what's hindering me from experiencing the love that Jesus already paid the ultimate price to bring to me yes. and is available to me. It's mm-hmm. got, not God's, God isn't withhold, withholding. No. It's what's going on, what, what's hindering me from experiencing the love that he wants for me to walk So in. we're going to look at that for just a few minutes this morning, and we're going to kind of open that a little bit. What is hindering me? I mean, what, why, okay, if I say God, I know God loves me, why do I still have these abnormal reactions? Why do I still have fear issues? What is hindering me? Well, let me first tell you and just express to you that every single one of us, and this is a good thing, God created us with these needs. Every single one of us have four basic needs. I don't care where we were born, what part of the world, every human being on planet earth has four basic needs. And you could kind of try to tear these apart a little bit more and come up with a few more, but these are just the four basics. And number one is a place of safety or a place of security. And number two is unconditional love. And Often people disagree with us and they say, well, that is, you know, if you're doing these in order of importance, of course, unconditional love is number one. Well, yes, possibly. But if I were to walk up to somebody I've never met before, Because here is another absolute fact of life. We will never experience love until we submit to love. And I will never submit to love until I trust the character and I feel safe and secure in the presence of the one expressing that love. Because here's the deal. A stranger walks up to you on the street and says, I love you. You're like looking to run the opposite direction. You're thinking, what does this person want from me? I mean, this is weird. There have got to be strange strings attached. I don't want anything to do with that love because I'm not safe and secure. I don't feel secure in the presence of the one extending that love. And that is a fundamental problem many of us have even with God. Because when we hear the word father... What's the first picture that comes in your mind? The third thing is value, and the fourth thing is purpose. And we're going to look at those a little bit more. But let me share with you just for a few minutes a little bit of my story. Dave's story is tragic. Can I go get a coffee? I was very that kind go, that and stood up here and listened it. to your story. So. But Dave's story is really tragic. 
And many of us, we hear that story and our hearts go out to that little boy, you know, who experienced what he experienced when his father committed suicide. And we think, wow, it's no wonder that guy's messed up because that's a really tragic story. I mean, his dad died and then his mom was diagnosed with cancer. And I mean, you know, there are, are few childhood stories that are as painful as that one. My story is a little bit different, but again, each one of us have a story. And each one of our stories has some joy and each one of our stories have some pain. And um, I grew up in a a really middle-class American family. My father had a good job. He was a professional man. He, he made plenty of, of money. My mom was a nurse, and she didn't have to work outside the home much because my dad was a, was a good provider. And until I was about 12 years old, I lived in what seemed as if it were just a bubble of security. I felt loved. I felt secure. I felt valuable. I felt purposeful. It wasn't a Christian home, but I didn't know anything any different than that. So to me, it was a safe place to be. And then when I was 12 years old, my mom found out that my dad was having an affair with his 19-year-old secretary. It's such a, a story that's been told so many times, but in my family, it was a true story. So my dad was having an affair with his 19-year-old secretary, and of course, my mom wasn't at all pleased with that. And, and so my, my, my parents started fighting a lot. And the home that I had felt so safe in for those first 12 years of my life became a very unsafe place for me. And my parents didn't know how to comfort the pain they were experiencing, and so they resorted to alcohol because that was what they had seen in their families of origin. And so my mom and my dad started drinking a lot, and they would come home from a date, and what they'd really been doing was out drinking, and when they'd come home, my dad would get extremely violent, and my mom would get extremely verbal, and the more verbal my mom got, the more violent my dad got, and I watched my dad beat my mom over and over again. I watched him punch her in the face and break her nose. I watched him throw her down the steps and break her foot. And, you know, here we were living in this beautiful middle-class home in a suburb in Ohio, and from the outside, everything looked so perfect in our family, and we weren't allowed to talk about what was happening uh, inside of our home. And I was so scared. And, you know, in every family, there's the kid that's going to fix it. There's the kid that's going to make it better. And in my family, I took on that role. And so from the time I was 12 years old, I started trying to protect my mom because I thought if I can be with her all the time, then I can protect her from my dad killing her. And she's told me since, you know, Chris, I, I mean, there were times your dad was strangling me, and if you hadn't jumped on your dad, it, he'd have killed me. And so my mom, in the midst of all of this horrible pain she was experiencing, and she didn't know what to do with her pain, and they would split up, and they would get back together, and my mom would move us across the country, and then my dad would come back and get us, and it was all this, this chaos and craziness going on in my home. And my mom didn't know what to do with her pain, and so she just wanted to die. So she made multiple suicide attempts. And um, she, I would come home, and she would be all cut. Or, or she would and constantly, Chris, I'm going to kill myself, and there's nothing you can do to stop me. And, and finally, when I was 15 years old, my parents had split up for the final time, and my mom had moved us back to Iowa because that's where her family was. And, and um, she took me in the bathroom with her one day when I was 15 years old. She said, Chris, I'm going to take this bottle of pills, and I'm going to die, and you're going to watch me. And she locked me in that bathroom with her, and she took that bottle of pills, and um, she knew exactly what she was doing. She was a, a registered nurse. And I, I got out of that bathroom, and I called the authorities, and they came, and they got her, and, and, and they, they took her to the hospital, and she lived. But at that moment in time, and I couldn't have put words to this then, but I see it so clearly now. At that moment in time, I decided that being a daughter was too hard. Nobody was going to parent me. My dad was off in Ohio living with his girlfriend, my mom, you know, I was trying my best to take care of her, and I couldn't even take care of her. Nobody was taking care of us. And I thought, this being parented is way too hard. I'm not going to let anyone ever take care of me again. And so what happens to us when these things, when, 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 when we're wounded, when we experience pain, when, whenever we don't feel safe or secure, whenever we don't feel loved, whenever we don't feel valued, whenever we don't feel purposeful, we start to walk in what we call a cycle of pain. And this is where we're going to get to this morning. And this evening, we're going to walk into the cycle of healing, and we're going to find out how to walk from this cycle of, of pain into a place of experiencing Father God's love for ourselves so that we can walk in a place of comfort and healing. But what happens in life when is we of, get wounded, don't one, we? When, when one of these four needs are not met in yep. our life, it creates a wound, right? And every single one of them. How many of you have ever felt insecure or unsafe? 
unloved. You felt like your sense of value has been attacked or touched or we, we've all experienced this in many, many times in our lives. And so anytime there's an unmet need, there's a wound. And what happens to us if we don't know how to experience comfort, because no, I didn't know how to experience comfort. The only, I mean, I, I, did, I had no idea as a young child. I wasn't allowed to talk about it with anyone. I, I certainly couldn't about, talk to my parents about it. didn't know about God as father. Yeah, I didn't know about God as father. And so what happened is we ha- I had all these wounds, as, as we all do at different times of our lives. And what we do is we go into negative thinking. And it can start like this. The people that are supposed to take care of me aren't doing it. They either can't or they won't. And so I'm only going to be safe if I'm in control. Right. I'll never be able to trust anyone to care for me. So I will have to take care of myself, and I will have to make sure everyone else is cared for. I'm only safe mm-hmm. when I'm in control. Right, right. Well, if we keep thinking those types of thoughts, eventually it's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to turn into sin in our lives. And in my life, what it looked like, was and, I, and, and here's another part of the story. I got born again when I was 15 years old. I fell madly in love with Jesus. Got baptized in the Holy Spirit, loved the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, but don't even talk to me about God as being Father. Because Father means abuse. It means betrayal. It means abandonment. Mm-hmm. It means the person that was supposed to protect you, not protecting you at all, but trying to hurt you. It means a whole bunch of horrible things. And so... The sin in my life, I got so stinking judgmental and unforgiving. Right, right. And you know what? I didn't deserve to be treated the way I was treated. That's right. What child deserves to be treated like that? I had a right to be angry. I had a right to not forgive. I had a right to demand an apology from the people that had hurt me so badly. I had a right, right? Right. I lived for 25 years thinking I had a right, Would and it almost destroyed me. So when we're, in a, when we're, when we're ju- self-justified in our rightness, it's very difficult for us to open up in loving relationships with God and with one another, because it's really the picture of the cross, isn't it? It's God loving us with that, uh, with that unconditional love, and then we begin to love God back. And then the, the, the picture of the cross is that horizontal part of that cross where we, we're experiencing, we begin to experience his love, and then we begin to love him back, and then we begin to be able to share that love with one another, right? But if we're not experiencing his love, then guess what we do? We uh, do the best we can with what we have, and that's sometimes it's very dysfunctional. Very, very hurtful because hurt people end up hurting people. So, so you know, we live this life of, of sin, and, you know, it, it can be anger. It can be control. It can be walls of self-protection. You know, we, we decide nobody's ever going to hurt me again. Like, I'm never going to let anybody hurt me again the way they hurt me. Right. So we build these walls of self-protection, and we build those walls to try to keep pain out. But what we don't understand is the same walls we build so carefully to keep pain mm-hmm. out, they also keep love out. Mm-hmm. And so we're behind these walls of self-protection, and all those things become sin in our lives. We start, we start looking for love and comfort in all the wrong places, don't we? Here I was, 15 years old, and, and my family was in shambles, and nobody was taking care of me. And, and I met this boy. And, you know, all I wanted to do was feel loved. All I wanted was to feel safe and secure. And so I met, this is the boy, amazingly enough. And, uh, and, and if you boy. remember anything about his story, you can only imagine how dysfunctional that I'm relationship was. I'm the boy. He's the boy. So I was 15 years old. I'd just gotten saved, and I met this boy. He I'm was so b- cute. Oh, my gosh, you should have seen him. I was so cute. I had muscles. He had muscles. He was a lumberjack. long hair. Long, brown hair, almost John black. John glasses. Uh-huh. Big I was bell-bottom... Tight, bell bottoms. Baby, I'm talking about. He's a cute boy. 
Staying alive. Staying alive. <laughs> oh, that was way later, honey. That was later. This that was, was later. before that Staying was Alive. This was still back in the... That's still the Beatles. All you need is love. Da, 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 da. Anyway, okay, hey, hey. so I met this boy because what we do is when we don't, when we're not getting comfort and love and we're not getting everything Father God wants to put in us, we'll look for it anywhere we can find it, Right? And it can become very distorted, and it can become sin. So I met this boy. I was 15. He was 18. We got married the next year when I was 16, and he was 19. Started having babies right away. Had my first baby when I was 17 and my second one when I was 19 because we wanted to feel loved. And so then this sin can move into darkness where we just want to hide. We don't want anybody to know who we really are. And Darkness can, is isolation. Yeah. <clears throat> Isolationism. Independence, self-dependence, you feel separated from God and from others, there's a wall, there's a barrier, you lose a sense of self-worth, don't touch, don't feel, don't trust, don't share, you know, it's it's darkness. And the problem with darkness is God operates in what? And the enemy operates in the... So the bigger walls that we end up building to protect ourselves from pain, the darker it gets. And then that can lead into oppression where the enemy, the devil, is really operating heavily to keep us bound and keep us in in, in, in an oppressive state. So this is the cycle of pain. It starts with the wound. And and what we found out, what we found is that that... The wound is the power source behind behavior. Wounding is the power source behind behavior. Have you ever wondered, you know, I mean, a lot of Christians haven't even asked themselves these questions. Where, when your button's pushed, let's just keep there, stay there. When your button's pushed and you have this somewhat unchristian-like response, right? Have you ever asked yourself or asked the Lord or somebody else that, you know, is a spiritual person in your life, where did that come from? Why did I respond that way? What am I afraid of? And then we like to ask people the question, what are you going to do about it, right? So it's important that we understand that, that wounding is the power source behind behavior. And pain seeks to be comforted. So you can be driven. You can be driven if you want to use the word subconsciously or in the, like the scriptures talk about the spirit of your mind or your unrenewed mind, you can be driven to comfort your pain. And that's why so many Christians have such a difficult time at times having a revelation and an experience of, of, of the comforting love of, of Father God and the healing love of Father God because we're driven to try to comfort our pain. And we become angry. Anger can be outward. We all know that, right? We, can, we know we understand that. But anger can also be inward. In, um, inward depression in its simplest form, in simplest form. I understand. I happen to believe that depression can can be chemically uh, a chemical problem, a brain, a brain problem. But a- anger in its simplest form, turned inward, is depression. It's depression. It's anger turned inward. So we all understand this, but we don't understand this anger turned inward. So we just have a few more minutes. So, so what we've done to so often in the body of Christ, and this, this I think, because, again, once we've started to experience, once we've allowed some of the walls to come down, with me, the walls were built so tall against even the thought of being parented or the thought of having a loving father because that was a negative thing to me. And, again, we see God through the lenses of our earthly fathers, oftentimes we have very distorted lenses, very distorted perception of who God is. And so what we do so often is we live here, and in the body of Christ, what we've done, we've seen people's behavior. That's what we see, right? We see people's behavior. We see their reactions. We see their, their, their anger. We see their, their depression. We see their seeking comfort in maybe some unhealthy ways. We see people seeking comfort in relationships, seeking comfort in maybe drugs or alcohol, seeking comfort of things that we know are false comfort mechanisms, but we don't know how to deal with that. So, so often what we've done in the body of Christ is we've gone after the oppression. Well, of course there's oppression at play here. Of course the enemy has gotten involved with this mess. 
I mean, overall, the enemy created the mess in the first place because what the, what the, what the problem is in society that's causing much of these, these things is fatherlessness. How can we experience God as a loving father when we've never had a positive experience with an earthly father? And I don't know what the statistics are in Ireland, but in the United States, about 47% of the children go to bed every night with no daddy in their home. It is an epidemic. It is a, it is a crisis in our culture, in our society, and it's a crisis that, of course, was facilitated by the enemy, but, you know, we go after the oppression, and we shout at the enemy, and we go after the enemy, or maybe we go after the darkness, and we try desperately to, 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 to curse the darkness, or we go after the sin in people's lives. Well, well, of course that's sin. You shouldn't be trying to comfort your pain like that. That's sinful behavior. You've got to stop that sinful behavior. Has anybody ever told you you needed to stop your sinful behavior? I'll tell you what, when I was an angry, angry woman for 25 years, if people even suggested that I was angry, I just got madder. I mean, really, it didn't help, right? For people to point out your sin, it's not particularly helpful, is it? Nor does it particularly help you change. And so in the body of Christ, we've gone after the sin or we've gone after the negative thinking. And all those things are, you know, those things are all problems. But have we ever considered that there is a wound, there is a pain in that person's heart that is so deep and they may not even be able to put voice to it they might not even recognize it they may have protected that pain for so long they may have built walls around that pain for so long that they're so afraid to allow that pain to be touched that that pain is driving the behavior that perhaps if we would introduce that person to the love of the Father in a way that they could experience it, that God would want to reach in and he would want to touch that pain. And we're afraid because we're afraid of fathers. We're afraid if they touch our pain, somehow they're going to hurt us. God doesn't want to touch our pain to hurt us. God wants to touch our pain to heal us. And when I allowed Father God 20 years ago, And we'll share more about this tonight when we talk about the cycle of healing. When I allowed Father God for the first time when I let down my wall of defenses enough, where I'd heard enough truth, where enough light had been shown into darkness, and I was willing to accept the fact that I I was the one who had built those walls. I was the one who was walking in unforgiveness. I was the one who was still holding my parents emotionally hostage for all the pain they had caused me. But here I was 25 years later, and I was the one that couldn't have a healthy relationship. And I was the one that was so angry that if you touched me, if you touched my pain, I would just, I could just slice you verbally. Sorry, honey. We lived a lot of years of our marriage like that. He would call, he called me affectionately laser lips. (laughs) But if we could, if we could. Only in the most affectionate (laughs) way. But if we could introduce people to a father and walk them through an experience of experiencing his love and allowing that pain to be touched and healed, what a difference our lives look like. What a difference our lives look like to start experiencing comfort, God's perfect comfort. So, so most places we go, uh, I'm going to tell you a little story here because um, that's all I know how to do. Um, <laughs> Most places we go, uh, you know, people are just kind of, you know, y'all understand this. They're just, you know, well, they're talking about guys' love. Come on, preacher. Why don't you talk about something that I, I learned that back in, back when I was a kid, for crying out loud, you know. So I'll tell you a, a, a story. We have some friends that uh, have adopted some children, and uh, one of those children, a little guy, the name is Jack. And some of the, some of the kids that they've uh, adopted are you know, special needs and have some unique situations. But, you know, great kid and everything, but just they have some struggles, behavior struggle, struggles. And so one day, little Jack comes back from school. I think he was in kindergarten at the time. And he had a note from his teacher. And, and uh, he, you know, so his mom got the note out, and he was in trouble. He got hit in a fight or something that happened. I don't know what happened. So his mom, you know, put him in a little bit of time out down in his room and, she left the door open, and she was doing her, you know, going about doing uh, things that, you know, laundry or whatever. And 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 <clears throat> she walked by his door, 
And this kid's all, all by himself in this room, and the door's open, and she hears this kid talking, and she's going, what in the world? So she, naturally, she's curious, and so she kind of peeks around the corner, and here's this little, little kindergarten kid, little boy. And uh, he, he, I'm sitting here with my arms crossed and both my middle fingers sticking up. I don't know. Maybe not. It may not translate. It may not translate. I'm sitting here with my arms crossed and both my middle fingers sticking up. I'm sitting here with my arms crossed. And, and, and so she had to have a talk with little Jack about the importance of not doing that kind of thing. But he didn't understand what that was. But he just knew it was, he, he knew it was naughty. He knew it was an agitated sense of resistance to what was going on and to the world that he was living in. And, and he didn't understand that it's kind of like the universal sign language, somebody cuts you out in traffic, you know, you're, oh, I'm sitting here with my arms crossed and that kind of thing. He didn't understand all that. But he just, he, and so wherever we go, whether it's the most religious Christian church, it doesn't make any difference. There's people sitting there like this, not physically, but spiritually. You're kind of sitting emotionally. They're sitting there. I'm sitting here, I can't believe that I'm here at this, they're learning about God's love, and they're talking about this touchy-feely stuff, I'm sitting here, you know. So a lot, now let's take that example and think about that, and then, not too long, but let's think about that, and then let's, you know, I'm going to talk about my little grandson, Speed, when he's my oldest grandson, um, and um, when he was a little guy, he would just love to come, come over to our house, to, to, to Mimi and Poppy's house. And Chris would make cookies with him, and he'd just talk and have great conversations, you know, just a little guy, a little four-year-old guy. And uh, he just he just loved to come over and spend time with Mimi and Poppy, right? And then, you know, he'd say, come on, Poppy, let's go watch a little SpongeBob SquarePants, you know. Now, now I, I, this is before I realized that SpongeBob SquarePants ruins your brain. I didn't know that <laughs> at that time, so I'm totally innocent on this thing. So we'd sit down to the couch, and, you know, he... he I, we'd sit there and start watching a little SpongeBob, just the clo- and and he, this little this little guy, man, he would just he would get up there next to me and he would get his and he'd take my arm and he'd pull my arm around his head and he would just it's almost like he wanted to get inside of my body or something, you know, just he wanted to be so close to Poppy, he just ooh, you know, just get there so close and if I'm not paying attention, you know, he would just he and I'd kind of be getting distracted and so he would. You know, pull that arm around and get. Oh, he he just wanted to be so close to Poppy, and then you know, w- without fail, again and again and again, this kid would do this. A little a little child shall lead them, right? He would lo- he would grab me by the head, look me in the eyes with this. He's beautiful little Eurasian brown eyes, because he's uh, we have a blended we have a we have a rainbow coalition family. We have a my 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 son married a Filipino girl who was raised in the United States, and my daughter married a black man, so we have just all these beautiful, colored, colorful children, yeah, and I am chalk white, anyway, so, anyway, so, okay, okay, so that's the story, so, you know, he just grabbed my face, looked me right in the eye, right that, that close, and go, Poppy, it doesn't get any better than this, now that is the example of an agitated sense of resistance because we have walls that we've built that we may not even be aware of that we've built that try to try to keep us from pain that's keeping us from having relationship with Father God as well as with one another. But how will the world know that what we have is real by the love that we show or demonstrate to one another? So it's not only this relationship with God that's affected by these walls that we build, to protect us from pain, but it's also a relationship with one another. That's the kind of relationship God wants to have with us. Be able to look him square in the eye, right? Father God, Abba, Daddy, Daddy, it doesn't get any better than this. That's the kind of relationship that Jesus Christ paid the ultimate price to bring to us. For us to be able to be accept Christ, he washes away our sin with his precious blood, and we're adopted into the family of God, and we're, we're born again, born from above, and we're able to just sit on God, God our Father's lap and let him put his loving arms around us and say, it doesn't get any better than this. Not only are we saying this to God, but God, 
our Father, Abba, Daddy, is saying this to us. It's all about relationship. It's all about relationship. Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship with the living God through Jesus Christ, his son, that we can be able to call him Abba, Father. And just like speed, we can look him in the eye, eyeball to eyeball, and say, Daddy, it doesn't get any better than this. That's the kind of relationship that God wants with every Christian. That's the kind of open, loving, powerful relationship that God wants to have with every one of his kids that have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We're going to teach you how to get there tonight. Tonight we're going to take some real practical steps and, um, and, and, and invite people. We'll review what we've talked about this morning. Uh, we'll review that a little bit this evening, but we're going to get into taking some real practical steps of experience. And um, so right now, before we, as we dismiss this morning, uh, we want to we close in prayer, but we want to, if you would, pray a really brave prayer. And give God permission to do a little gardening in our hearts. Give God permission to touch areas of our hearts that maybe we've held, we've held aloof. Maybe we've held away. And maybe we didn't even know we were doing it. We weren't doing it on purpose. We, weren't, we just were afraid. And so if we could just close today or pray and ask God and just give God permission to touch our heart, to touch that pain. Because he only wants to heal so that we can have that open door, that open, that eye-to-eye, that face-to-face, skin-to-skin contact with our Father and have him express how much he loves us. So um, if you would, you certainly don't have to, but if you would pray after me, Father God, God. I come to you you. in the name of Jesus. Jesus. And I thank you, Father. That you sent Jesus so that I could know you. So that the Father of the universe, the loving Heavenly Father, could be my Father. And I could be called your dearly loved child. So today, Father, I give you permission to touch my heart. I choose today to allow a little light to shine into some of the darkness through the walls I've so carefully constructed. I built them to keep pain out, but I realize they've also kept love out. So, Father, I open my heart to you. I trust you. And I allow you to heal my pain. Father, show me by experience your love for me. Show me what's hindered me from fully experiencing that love. I love you. I trust you. In Jesus' name. Amen.